scripture today is Nehemiah 111 through 24. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I be, not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our dreams aren't big enough. We've gotten used to, many of us, dreaming small, safe dreams. How far gone from you and me are the days when somebody said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you said, a firefighter in a flying fire truck. Like the kids said this morning, an astronaut, a fighter pilot, a doctor. I mean, what kid, when you ask, says, I want to be middle management? (laughs) You know, but live in the world long enough, and it steals away your big dreams. It grinds you down. And, And I've met so many people who, instead of dreaming these big, improbable, bold dreams, play it safe. So they would tell me, instead of a loving, passionate marriage, how about a stable one? That would be good enough. Instead of a job where every day you're just excited to go, you know you're making a difference, well, people tell me, this one pays the bills. It's got some great benefits. You should see dental. Instead of a life free of fear, I mean, which of us would say, oh, life free of fear, free of worry, free of complaint? So often I see people settling just for some pills that help them sleep at night. And that's what I love about the Lord, is the Lord invites us into this space of big dreams. He says, hey, dream big again with me, my children. How are you going to change the world? What are you going to be when you grow up? Because you're not done growing yet. And that's what I love about our church, is we're dreamers of big dreams. When we were giving away 1%, we said we dream someday of being an outreach church that gives away a tithe, that gives away 10%. And there were people who were like, no, you never pay the bills. You barely pay the bills now. We're like, we dream it. We're there. Right? We, in, our, in our mission statement, we start out with the reality. We're imperfect people, right? I have reminders of my own imperfection every week. I bet y'all do too. But then we move on. We're, we're being transformed. You know, we're old dogs. We're learning new tricks. God's changing us from the inside out. And then we get to the big dream at the end. Together, we're going to change the world. 
We believe we can change the world. Not a five-mile radius around Bee Creek United Methodist Church, right? What a sad little dream that would be, wouldn't it? Or like, we believe we can change a portion of this world. No, we believe we can change the world. And y'all have had people come up to me after I knew people, I preached a sermon or a lunch with Laura, and I've talked about our vision statement, and they'll be like, really? That part about changing the world, do you really believe that? Say, yeah, we believe it. We're doing it. We're living it. We're trying to live into it every day. It's a big dream. And to me, when when we're going to dream big, that's the first obstacle we've got to overcome. Same thing for Nehemiah, is that if this is a God-sized dream you're dreaming, somebody's going to tell you you're crazy. It's going to happen, okay? It's almost the litmus test for a big dream. If you're like, this is my big dream, and everybody's like, you can do it, it's not really that big if everybody believes you can do it, okay? If people start telling you you're crazy, you may have a God-sized dream right there. Imagine Nehemiah, okay? Nehemiah is one guy. He is in the capital of the Persian Empire. Persia conquered Babylon, okay? So Babylon conquered Jerusalem. Persia conquered Babylon. He's a captive in that city. He hears about the desolation of of his hometown. He never lived there, but that's where his people are from. 150 years of failure. Thousands and tens of thousands of people have tried to rebuild it. Nehemiah hears about it, falls on his knees before God, and has this big dream that he's going to be the man to lead the rebuilding. Now, right? This is the year that it's going to happen. Don't you know that his friends were like, Really? You, Nehemiah, one man are going to succeed where the prophet Ezra failed, where tens of thousands of our faithful people failed. You're not a king. You don't have an army. What's going to make you successful in the face of this giant need where generations have failed? They're like, give it up. You know, you're going to get an arrow in your back for your troubles. But Nehemiah perseveres because, see, he's listening to the call of God, not to what other people are saying. So one of the first things we have to do to dream big is listen first to the voice of the Lord. And then keep going even if, and maybe especially if, people say we're crazy for dreaming that big. Keep going. And the next thing he overcomes is a comfortable life. You know, um, it's not as hard to answer the call of God if, like Lainey, you've grown up to be a hobo, right? That's what she wants, right? Well, she doesn't have as much to surrender to God when God calls, right? Maybe what she dreamed of, her hobo pillow, she'd have to give that up. But Nehemiah, he's kind of set, He had a pretty good life for a captive, for an exile, one that the other exiles would have envied. He was at the right hand of the king. He was the cupbearer. And his job was every day at every meal, he needed to bring the king his wine and test it. He'd pour a little bit into his hand and test it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Now we think, well, that's a little dicey. 
But a mind like Nehemiah's, he didn't just leave it to chance that it wasn't poison. This is a man who is ensuring every step of the way, you know, it's been protected and safe. He's been watching every step to when it gets to the king's table, he can be certain that it's fine. That's his job. Many exiles would have envied this job. And where does he live? He lives in the palace. He's got swanky royal apartments. He's set for life. And then comes this big dream. And it's going to call him out of his comfort zone into where? A three-month journey to a ruined city where he's going to live in a tent and try to motivate people who have totally given up. What we're going to find is it's a big God-sized dream when it requires deep sacrifice from us. Now, sacrifice is not the same thing as joy. A lot of times, um, God does call us to places of joy. Will this not be a wonderful dream for Nehemiah, the best thing in his life, if he can do it? Yeah. Worth sacrificing a comfortable bed to have Jerusalem be rebuilt and the witness of God restored? Yes. But he's going to have to sacrifice deeply before that happens up to and including putting his life on the line. To talk to a king who has, in Ezra 4.12, this king that Nehemiah served said, Jerusalem will never be rebuilt. So for Nehemiah to say, I'm going to talk to the king about this, means he is putting his life on the line. Not just his comfortable royal apartments and his job security for the future, he's laying it all on the line. And we know that we're we can know that we're on God's path when instead of feeling like, yay, let's go do this, we're like, whew, that's a heavy cost. Remember it's worth it. Remember the call, right? A restored city for Nehemiah. The light shining out for people to know the Lord, right? The glory restored. This is, this is worth it. And when you're dreaming big and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have to sacrifice so deeply, remember the call of God so that you can persevere. The final thing that Nehemiah overcomes is a long wait, a very long wait. We don't really recognize this because we don't know ancient calendars that well. But remember how last week we were talking about prayer and Nehemiah prays this bold prayer and he says, grant me success today, right? This is a big sacrifice, but he is ready to go right now to talk to the king. And he tells God, God today, And this is the month of Kislev. Well, he has to wait till the month of Nisan before today comes. Y'all know how long that was? Four months. How many of us, when we pray our prayers, tell God today? Today. And then how many of us get really discouraged when God doesn't answer that prayer on our timeline? And so Nehemiah has to wait for four months, and I... I want to talk about how he uses that time, but let's back into it by letting us discover from the story what he does, okay? So after four months, we know he's been praying the whole time. We know he's been crying the whole time, right? Because he's in tears about the state of, of his ancestral home. Finally, 
One day, while he is serving the king his wine, some of the sorrow breaks through on his face. Now, this would have been very uncommon because servants of the king were required to always look happy, always. That was one of the requirements. I'm sure it was what you wore and how you, how you composed yourself, but you had to look happy. So for four months, he, even though his heart is breaking, he has been smiling. This day, the sorrow breaks through. And immediately, let's look at what the king does. The king notices, okay? He says, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. Why does that matter to him? Okay? This is the guy who tests his wine for poison, okay? So if your cupbearer is suddenly looking strained, don't you know that that is now the number one priority of the king? To find out, are you sick, right? This is now a life and death question for the king of Persia. You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled, okay? Nehemiah says, I was terrified. Of course he was. The moment has come. He's broken the rules by looking sad in the king's presence. He's about to make this tremendous request that without the hand of God, he's going to die. And so he says, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Did he name the town there? He did not. He intentionally does not name Jerusalem because remember Artaxerxes has said Jerusalem will never be rebuilt. Nehemiah leaves it vague. The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. That's what's making me sad. And he keys in on something that mattered to the Persian people, which is they cared about honoring their ancestors. So he's talking to the king in a language the king understands. Without kind of, instead of going right at it, he's going around. Well, the king says, how can I help you? Oh. Remember I told you that Nehemiah always knew where to start. And so the first thing he does in the scripture is, again, he prays to God. Y'all, he's been praying for four months. Four months without ceasing. And yet before he answers the king, God help me. King of the universe, help me talk to this king. And then he tells them, I want to go back to Judah. Oh, well, we know what capital that is. We're talking about Jerusalem. I want to rebuild the city of my ancestors. The king says, how long is that going to take? Nehemiah lays out the timeline. And then he says, and if it please the king, not only do I want you to reverse that edict and let me be gone this long, but can you get timber from your royal storehouses? And can you write some letters to the surrounding nations to pave the way for me? So when Nehemiah makes this request, all the details are filled in. Here's how long I'll be gone. Here's the supplies. I'm going to need you to graciously donate to this cause. Here's, um, here's a timeline for it. And here's the letters I need you to send and the names of the rulers you need to address them to. Now, here's where God works. Here's where God opens a door that Nehemiah never could have. The king agrees. He reverses his own ruling. And he says, Nehemiah, you can go and rebuild Jerusalem. 
and he funds it, and he even sends soldiers to protect Nehemiah. It's been said that patience is the ability to wait without complaining. That's a start. But Nehemiah shows us that patience is much more than what you don't do. It's what you do with the waiting time God gives you. How do you redeem that wait? Most of us just endure it. Nehemiah uses it. Every day, every second, he is working on the problem. So that when the king says, what, do you, what is it that's making you sad? He's like, I'm going to talk about my ancestors. When the king says, how long is it going to take? Man, Nehemiah's been making those calculations for months. When he has the opening, he says, I'm going to need this specific amount of timber from the forest. And I'm going to need these specific letters to the rulers in the other areas. Okay, where does this come home to us? Well, too often, I have heard Christian people spiritualize doing nothing while we wait. Now, you guys, there are times when, when God says, even in the Bible, stand back and watch. Okay, if God says that to you, you're good. Watch. But most of every time in the Bible when God has a big dream for something amazing to happen, that means that God needs, needs the person that is being called to use their brains, to use their skills to use their gifts to work on that problem hand-in-hand with the Lord. That I've even had pastors tell me, well, I would never prepare a sermon in advance because that would undercut the work of the Holy Spirit if I did any work on it. No. (laughs) No, you guys, God gave us brains for a reason. Use them. You know, we need to get up off of the place we've been sitting when God is calling a big dream and be like, okay, is there any way I can change the heart of the king of Persia? No, that's up to God. But you know what? I could plan the resources. Maybe you have a math mind and you're like, I could do that. Or I could write this down and motivate other people. Or, you know, while I'm waiting for the Lord to answer this prayer, what's the piece that I could work on? So that when the door opens, I'm ready to go. And so you guys, when Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, the story is different because he has been working. So I want you to imagine, here here Nehemiah is, he's got an army, he's got supplies, the city is in ruins, it's thwarted people for 150 years. But he has all of this help that he brings with him. Imagine that instead of that, he had just waited for God. And so he got to Jerusalem alone with none of that and the huge task that had thwarted the generations. Would Jerusalem have been rebuilt? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think God is a great God, so I'm going to say yes right? But the miracle is, and this is your spoiler alert, that because Nehemiah did his preparation, the walls are rebuilt in 52 days. Is that not a testimony to the power of God to change the story? 
a testimony to how God wants us to work, not just waiting, but applying ourselves to the task as well. And that when we use our best gifts and God opens doors that only God can open, the world changes. So I ask you, have you gotten used to dreaming safe dreams? Man, let's stop that. These kids, um, this last week, they built a wall. We were talking about rebuilding, and a parent sent me this picture. Leaf, you sent me this, of them building a wall of hope. I didn't say that. They built that. And this is how the story changes, y'all. It's when we say, you know what? I'm going to work up beside the Lord. I'm going to get out in the fray. I'm going to get my hands dirty. Never settle for comfort. Never, never settle for safety when the Lord is calling you out into the dangerous unknown. May we be people who dream big dreams for God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us dream your dreams, that you would help us give of our gifts, of our skills, of our time to make those a reality. Maybe those are dreams in our own personal life, Lord, places that have just laid in ruins. Help us to believe that you can change the story. Maybe those are places in our community, places of hurt and brokenness like the kids talked about this morning with hurting people where the story has always been the same. Help us, Lord, as your people here in this church to believe that through us you can change that story. And Lord, may we always be a people who dare great things for you, who believe great things and who don't care if other people call us crazy as long as you are calling us, as long as you are calling us. Amen.